I'm delighted to welcome today a very special guest, a very special desk, a very special guest even, uh, Dan Goodwin from CYA Consulting in America. Welcome, Dan. Well, thank you, Elaine. Great to be here. Thanks for the kind invitation. So um, let's start with the end and kind of go backwards uh, at, at this point. CYA Consulting it always makes me smile when I say say that because I know what it stands for. Do, do you tell me what it? You tell our audience what it stands for. <laughs> Absolutely, it stands for cover your assets. In, in case you heard it differently in your part of the world. <laughs> it always makes me chuckle so what do you mean by cover your assets well it you know it's it's a little obviously it's a it's a little tongue-in-cheek i i basically used it as a as a pattern interrupt uh to get exactly what you described to get to get a chuckle or at least a raised eyebrow to figure out what is this cheeky guy from North America doing. So yeah, that that's how it came about, and it, it came out of my uh, cover your assets came out of my my professional background in investigations. So you've done quite a lot of investigations, haven't you? Um, hundreds and hundreds, probably more than hundreds. Um, when you were doing some internal investigations with Fortune 100 companies way back. So so tell us about those and how you honed your skills, Dan. Sure, so yeah, so uh, I started with, with a Fortune 100 company and when I was promoted to a security investigator back in the mid 90s, I was sent to the John Reed School of Interview and Interrogation Technique in Chicago, Illinois. And that's the same school that the feds and the states and counties and locals and RCMPs and Scotland Yard and Australian National, they would all send their, anybody with the title of detective, investigator, inspector, uh, that was one of the top schools to go to. So that's where my training was. And obviously we did not use the word interrogation in a corporate environment, but we learned those skills of, you know, interview skills and psychology and a little bit of sales and a lot of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming. And Elaine, I didn't even know what that was when I started uh, started that journey uh, years and years ago. I first got introduced to NLP in the early 90s and um, I, for many, many years, wouldn't give it house room because I felt that it was used by salespeople to manipulate the audience they were selling to sort of unwittingly a lot of it is common sense because you mirror one of the techniques in nlp neuro-linguistic programming is mirroring so if you're in the comfortable situation we observe it anywhere we go if two two people are sitting at a bar or having coffee or whatever when you see them sitting in exactly the same position that's a sign that they are comfortable so to me when i was first told and taught about this I thought that's it's just it's just unethical you're if you're mirroring somebody's behavior just to befriend them that's not right and it took me years to realize actually that NLP can be used very effectively and ethically in the right hands but it's it's a tool like anything else isn't it yeah it you know it, it's I think it's a superpower and superpowers can be used for good or evil uh, I've been accused of that manipulation and gaslighting and hypnotism and, you know, a myriad of other things. And I always go back, Elaine, and say, what is uh, 
the purpose of the conversation and what is the motive of the conversation. And obviously when I was getting paid to do internal investigations for my corporate company, they were paying me to go get information. And I never felt like I twisted uh, someone's words. I always wanted them to own whatever they were telling me or, or, you know, providing information. I wanted them to own that. So I always felt like it was a great tool to help people feel comfortable sharing information with me. As you say, can be used for good or, or not, not so good. And the ethics is that's a huge thing in my value um, toolkit um, the things that need to be ethical. Um, I remember laughing recently. I was telling somebody that I could never work in a pub. I could never serve alcohol. Um, I drink it. I, I thoroughly enjoy it in moderation, but I could never serve it because it's to me, it's serving a drug because you know what's going to happen to some people when, you know, when they have too much. So there's, there's lots of different areas where our ethics and our values kind of um, need to be kept in check. And the NLP piece, I think, is a good way. So many people are now using it for health and well-being. Um, and you mentioned hypnotism as well. So did you do hypnotic, I can't say it, hypnotic training in, in your interrogations? Uh, no, we did not. I mean, that that was kind of the line that they drew. Uh, I, you know, I've studied it since, uh, you know, over over the rest of my adult life. But I've, I've never felt like... I, I never felt like I needed that as a tool. Um, and, and plus, you you really have to be careful. Everything that you would do in an investigation needs to be, it was always documented. So it was always knowing that whatever you're doing, you may have to defend someday. You may have to defend the ethics of it. You may have to defend the information. You may have to defend... Uh, your behavior and you may have to comment to the behavior of the person that you were, you know, you were interviewing. So it, it was always, uh, that was not a line that we crossed. Very good. And and what kind of interrogations, well, investigations, should I say, what sort of investigations were they that you were expected to do when you were in your corporate uh, days? Yeah, the corporate days, uh, internal, so fraud, just think fraud and theft, embezzlement, sexual harassment, um, not so much company policy violations, basically anything that could turn into a litigation issue for the corporation. Uh, we were sent or we worked in concert with HR. Uh, we didn't really, unless there was a management issue that was really had a lot of nuance or a lot of uh, uh, a lot of difficulties embedded in it. We really didn't do management issues. We left that up to the HR reps. But anything that was a a policy violation or a possible uh, criminal activity, then that's when the corporate security group was called in. So I guess you must have learned a lot of legal jargon as well in those days. You know what what constitutes a crime, what doesn't constitute a crime. We worked closely with the employment attorneys. Uh, well, and, and the corporation had, you know, many types of business attorneys, corporate attorneys, employee, employment attorneys. The employment attorneys were really ultimately responsible for the work product. Uh, so 
Yeah, uh, lots of attorneys. And then, you know, I had a, uh, during my course of employment, I had a top secret clearance uh, and uh, I worked for a telecom company. So I was installing covert cameras and wiretaps in the middle of the night, you know, all very 5% James Bond fund and <laughs> 95% uh, documentation. So we worked with all levels of law enforcement too, from the feds all the way down to local local law enforcement. Right. How exciting. And what do your grandchildren think of um, granddad, Dan? Do, do they know about all these things that you've got up to? Oh, yeah, I, I don't, they don't have a lot. I can, I can tell you my kids, um, weren't very happy when I got back from investigative school. So, uh, because I, I'm, I may, or for the record, I may or may not have used some of those techniques when my kids were teenagers. Uh, but you, it's funny, the family dynamic, they don't care what pops did in, in his past life. And Elaine, it was really funny. The very first five minutes of the first class when I went to school there in Chicago and they said, what we're about to teach you, the disclaimer is what we're about to teach you will work on everyone, but your spouse. Oh, so that was a big chuckle. That was a big chuckle to get to get the class started. Very good. And And is it true? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we're going on 36 years of marriage and yeah, I, I don't know that any of those techniques, uh, even if I started going down that path, she may, she may look at me and grin because she knows, she knows what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? How cool is that? So, um, critical thinking obviously is part of the interrogate interrogation and questioning process so talk to us about critical thinking and why it's so important in business today and and life generally today well you know the 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 whole issue of critical thinking has really come to the forefront the last couple of years as you know as we've watched what the world has has thrown at us uh, sometimes critical thinking uh, here, here's what I know about critical thinking. Uh, people ask questions, Elaine, mainly for two reasons. And the first one being to seek new data points. They're genuinely curious. Um, the second reason people ask questions is to affirm a deeply held belief or position. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll look at you and say, hey, this shirt looks great on me, right, Elaine? You know, so I'm I'm, I'm asking, you know, I'm fishing for the compliment. I'm fishing for the affirmation. And conversely, people don't ask questions. And this is where the critical thinking piece kicks in. People don't ask questions because they don't seek new data points. Because if, they, if they're seeking those, they have to process that information. And then they have to either take action or inaction for which there are consequences agnostically good or bad because it could go either way depending on if you take action or inaction and also it blows up their paradigm if they go back and share with their tribe whatever they ascribe to be that friends and family church uh, social work if they go back and share with their tribe that they've they've come to a new conclusion that isn't a part of the group think then uh, it can really mess their paradigm up. And 
a lot of people are walking around on autopilot. They're in trance because they're doing the same thing over and over. My job as a coach consultant and as an investigator is to throw those pattern interrupts and throw those monkey wrenches into the, their patterns of thinking to help them get real with their self. So um, I was accused, well, it's coming up three years now, isn't it? Um, when the world changed and I was accused of, oh, you're not using critical thinking. And I had all these bright young things telling me I was completely mad. And um, now look what's happened. So um, yeah, critical thinking can be used in lots of different scenarios in your personal life and you know, work life, social life, etc. cetera. Um, but it's what my mom used to say is common sense. You know, it's not really difficult to follow a line of thought, um, a process, whatever it is, to whatever conclusion you come to. And of course, everybody will always find what they're seeking. So whether you want to prove something or disprove something, um, it's possible to manipulate the pathway, shall we say, to get to a conclusion that you wanted in the first place. So but when you were doing all your investigative work, I expect you came across some really sneaky kind of characters who were trying to persuade you that black's white and white's black and, and so on and so forth. So how, 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 does, how, how can our listeners, um, when they're aware that somebody is actually not being terribly truthful, they don't want to compromise themselves? Are there any tips, any tricks, processes that you can guide us on? Yeah, I would say... Um to stay stay calm and focused um a lot of people especially those that try to manipulate you and your thinking and they're trying to convince you will play to the emotions or if they keep if they don't think they can get you that way they will start trying to hit the hot buttons right they'll start trying to agitate uh, or maybe they're bringing up something from the past so to here's what i know about the emotional and the chemical balance um elaine is <clears throat> when when somebody gets triggered and that it can that can be good or bad but typically we we equip that with bad news uh, but when you get triggered, it you're doing adrenaline and cortisol dumps in your brain. And it takes about 30 minutes minimum for that, that chemical balance to restore itself. So the thing that I've observed is if I run across somebody that is, uh, they're on social media all day, they're listening to mainstream media they're buying into what their family and friends tell them about any i you just pick any controversial subject we can talk about vaccines mask gun control abortion politics climate change uh, world economic forum anything that will trigger uh, a divisive type of subject uh, that 100 years from now won't matter uh, that piece of it is is that that triggering effect if you allow that to, to overtake your brain 24 seven, you will never get down to a place where there is equilibrium that you can actually think. 
And when I when I ran into this in investigations and people were trying to agitate or they were trying to deflect uh, whatever the question was, I sep- I typically sat back and let them talk themselves out mm-hmm. and then go back, well, thank you for that great information. Now, let me make sure that I understand the answer to the question that I asked. And I'll re-ask the question. They've already blown their the, all the fluff they're going to blow out. Uh, and sometimes people need to do that. Uh, the reason people do that is because they're they're nervous, they're upset, they feel threatened by the question I asked because they know they know the road that this is going down, and uh, they're doing everything they can to distract or or deflect. And you simply have to not take anything they say personally and just listen for the answer. So there's a lot of a lot of people that will answer questions that I didn't ask. Mm. And, uh, you know, I'll give you a personal example uh, to, to my wife. What do you want to eat tonight? Well, you know, we need to go to the store and I really don't want Chinese. Uh, and the list goes on and on. And I'll look at her and say, all of that, that's great. Those are great data points. Let me ask that. Let me ask it a different way. What do you want to eat tonight? <laughs> so, <laughs> so she gets the point. She knows. Uh, and the reason she's doing that is uh, the reason people do that is they're buying time. Mm-hmm. They're buying time to think of, uh, you know, there's there's actually two answers to every question I ask. The, the first one is front facing what looks good. Uh, what's public facing, what, what looks good. And then the, the second reason, second answer is the real reason. And our, our job in life is to get those answers congruent so that you don't sound like a, a total idiot whenever you have to change answers in the middle of the stream. Mm-hmm. And I always, I always told people, Elaine, um, when I ask a question, please please take a moment and think about it because I'd rather just get this right the first time and then and not, you know, not have to come back and revisit it when we, when we found out we forgot something or something wasn't exactly that way. So that's a little bit of NLP. That's a little bit of programming uh, to say embedded commands, right? To say, uh, shoot straight with me the first time and take your time when you answer. Yeah, absolutely. So keeping calm, focusing and not taking things personally that's the three things that I've taken down from what you said um, and I've got experience of this as well I one situation um I'm smiling but it's not actually very funny this this man was so cross with me he was absolutely furious and he came up to me literally right right in my face and um the more angry he got the calmer I became and that really irritated him um so yes you can you can um kind of save yourself when you're in situations that are potentially dangerous as well by keeping calm because then you've, you're you're more in control because when the emotions take over well, well we know our emotion works quicker than our our logical mind does isn't it so and that's why a lot of people are triggered because they're emotionally triggered first and then rational thinking may or may not follow uh, in many cases it doesn't yeah, and it, you know when you when you're confronted with somebody like you described confronting you, 
there, there's that fight, flight, or freeze uh, that, you know, your limbic system kicks in. Uh, and then one of, uh, I talked to somebody a few weeks ago, and she said the fourth one is conform. And I never really thought of that, flight, fight, flight, or freeze, or conform. And I think a lot of people find them in the conform column the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, just doing the same as everybody. They don't want to go down the rabbit holes. They don't want to know the answers. They don't want to be proven wrong. There's any number of reasons. Yeah, and and in fact, I was. It's funny because I was talking to my wife about this a couple of days ago, uh, and we were talking about uh, some of the some of the data points that were that are coming out with some of the issues in the world, and uh, you know. She said, how do you kindly tell someone I told you so? I said, I don't think you do. Uh, they're just going to double down uh, and still, because they, they have to convince themselves they made the right decision for themselves and their families. Mm -hmm. And the best thing you can do is grace, mercy, and love whenever possible. I, I mean, I've had people uh, cut ties with me. Uh, and that's fine. Uh, you know, you, you just got to breathe a prayer blessing on people and let them walk, um, Elaine. And they may come back at some point, uh, but those that were the most vocal uh, about and in your face and telling you what you should do, those are the ones that will never come back to apologize. Mm it's been very sad how all this last two or three years has broken friendships broken families also my own included um it's very it's very difficult at times because i can't have a, a generic conversation now with some people because it just always leads back to the um i don't i've never said i told you so but the look on my face and my behaviors obviously uh, people don't want to see so i just have to I've learned to keep my my thoughts to myself in some situations. And as you say, send send love and blessings to people in the hope that um, one day they will realise and hopefully um, live happily ever after. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, so. yeah. I, I'm right. There, I'm right there with you. And um I don't, I don't feel, I mean, young Dan, <laughs> younger Dan, I would have been, I would have been in their face saying, uh, I, I told you Leslie, right? I mean, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I, I just, I'm at the point in my life, I'm not offering, um, unless somebody's paying me as a consulting fee or a coaching fee, I really don't offer those proactive, uh, opinions uh before they before they've been asked those unsolicited opinions i i would have younger when i was younger i would have because i used to do that for free entertainment mm -hmm. used to stir people up and and get them wound up but I, i'm just at a point in my life and you know what um i they just need to go and live their life and uh you know wish them well yeah absolutely yeah definitely on the same page there dan so um on the notes you sent me you mentioned that you had an NDE, a near-death experience, I'm assuming that is, in May 2014. Yeah, yeah, that's that? that's correct. Um, yeah, that that was uh, kind of a long journey. Um, so back in the day, uh, 
well before 2014, I was not very healthy. I was 30 plus pounds heavier than I am today, but uh, probably uh, they think that I started to have a retinal detachment. You know, they think it was due to uh, high blood pressure or extended hypertension, whatever you want to call it. And so in April of uh, 14, I uh, started getting some floaters and some spots in my eyes, couldn't figure out what it was, went to the eye doctor and they said, well, you've, you've got the beginning of a retinal detachment. Uh, that led to five laser surgeries. And finally on May the, uh, let's see, what would that have been? I think May the 21st, um, it started curtaining and, uh, if you, you know, you can go look that up on, on the net, but basically the, the, the whole retina was starting to peel away from the back of my eyeball, which basically I was going to go blind. It started, it looks like a black curtain. So they rushed me into emergency surgery about five 30 that evening. And instead of intubating me, they just did local. That's how much of a hurry they were in. Uh, and as we were going into the OR, I told the anesthesiologist, I said, now I've got sleep apnea, so you may want to have oxygen standing by. And he didn't listen. So halfway through my surgery, Elaine, I was, I woke up, they were pulling the sedative IV out of my left arm and putting a steroid IV in my right arm and come to find out that, uh, you know, it wasn't walk toward the light type thing. I had bottomed out and they were just getting ready. They were charging up the paddles and I came back and, um, you know, there wasn't anything ultra spiritual about that, uh, you know, like walking towards the light or anything else. It was a trauma point though, in my life that fundamentally changed how I approached life. So it was, uh, it was an important event and it took about 90 days after I came out of that, that fog um, is really where I figured out that, okay, this has fundamentally changed my personality and, you know, my kids and my wife bore the brunt of that, uh, because I was not the same person after that event. So yeah, it, it, it was a big deal and it fundamentally has changed how I, uh, approach relationships, approach life, approach business. And it, it, it was a big deal. <laughs> when you say changed, in what way? Um, kind of what I referred to before. Uh, I would offer my unsolicited opinion, and now you have to drag it out. Somebody has to ask me directly, or they have to pay me, and then I'll offer it. Uh, I just I gauge everything by what will what good will come out of this um before i ask a question or jump into a conversation and before i was like uh this is how you know this is the only correct way to do that and i don't don't really offer that anymore even with my own clients my own consulting clients I lead them down a uh, decision path. I'm not telling them what to do. I'm saying, you know, 
Could you do this? Should you do this? Will you do this? And uh, just so part of that could be wisdom. Part of that could be age. But a lot of that for me was triggered back in 2014. Mm -hmm. I, I had um, a couple of situations, 1982 and 1985. I'm, I'm a few years older than you. And um, the same kind of thing. You think, well, what's the point? What's the benefit? Who who's gonna, you know, is it's not a case of scoring points here where you mentioned the younger Dan, where there was a younger Elaine as well. And um she's only just surfaced um really kind of in the last 10 years, I guess, um, that's that's changed. Um, when I've had gone through my cancer episodes and fixed myself from a kidney disease I had. So um when you have these kind of near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, whatever, it's a wake-up call, isn't it? And I think it's a, a very help, helpful um, way that we kind of just take a step back, reassess what's important in life, and then judge. Um, maturity obviously comes into it as well. But um, with the personal growth stuff that we do over the years, we, we learn to assess what is worth pursuing and what isn't. Yeah, yes, and and to me, um, not not to go way down the religious rabbit hole, but I, I I was raised in a very conservative evangelical fundamentalist church, uh, and I was Elaine even as a young child, I was that kid that was you know sit down, shut up, you're asking too many questions, uh, and, and where it was hard for my dad to explain or the pastor to explain. And there, there was some, um, the religion that I was raised in really constrained my concept of spirituality because I see those as two different things. Religion is man's imperfect attempt to explain God in the universe, uh, you know, within the construct of power and control. And spirituality to me, as I've as I've made my journey the last few years, is more about my relationship with the universe. And, you know, what I'm saying now could be, you know, heresy <laughs> to the church that I that I grew up in. But it it is um I think we're all on the journey. And that that piece of it also was part of that just letting it go and let people pursue their own journey without commentary from me, unless they solicit that commentary. And then if they say, I'm thinking about doing this, Dan, what do you think? Um, that That is a different, um, that, that's a different level of conversation versus Elaine, I see that you're headed down this path and I, I think it's the wrong path for you. Yeah, and it's, it's in some respects it's a subtle difference on an, an, an another level it's actually huge isn't it, it and it's it's life-changing for some people i made the mistake of uh, being too vocal and um that's why family members um there's only one now that's that's a um still a challenge and it's a very important one sadly but um the others have all kind of come round and um and, and they're okay although our opinions still differ hugely but it's, they're not topics that we can talk about um so um, what, apart from the keep calm, focus, and don't take things personally, is there anything else that you can um, offer for CEOs, people who 
who need to be in control of their business all the time and perhaps are struggling with overwhelm. Um, they don't know which way to turn, apart from calling Dan Goodwin in to help them unravel things. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say always, um, always go back to the question of motive. Why am I, why am I saying this? Why am I asking this? Why are they saying this? Why are they asking this? And, um, you know, this is going to sound, you know, woo woo and out there, but I mean, love is, love is the frequency. Love is the answer. And when you refuse to let others, so the disc, the, the, the dissonance, right. The, to, to embed that in you and you stay open and curious, a lot of things can solve themselves. When, when somebody gets out of control, uh, you, I always look and say, hmm, wonder what's going on in their life. Mm -hmm. When somebody reacts to you, Elaine, uh, in a explosive way, is that something that is a stress that happened today or is this a trauma from childhood? Mm -hmm. Why are they reacting this way? And I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I do have a good read on people. And pretty quickly too. And, um, you know, I, people say, well, you, especially since 14, they say you've become more intense. And I consider, I, I would say I've become more focused on, on things on because, and when, when somebody is facing the overwhelm, the first thing I would say is what what is triggering your response to this why are you overwhelmed did you have a parent that was a perfectionist or expected you to be perfect right is there some religious training in your background that says you are less than that you are unworthy no matter how hard you try and th those two questions those are two of the biggies and then when you can relax into the person you are and strive daily toward the person you want to become, you start to see that for other people. Again, you, you shouldn't impose your vision on them. They should reach out and claim the vision for themselves. And sometimes, you know what? Sometimes that means somebody leaves a company and that's okay. Again, you need to breathe a prayer blessing on them and wish them all the success in the world yeah absolutely it's about so going with the flow isn't it and and the flow sometimes doesn't go where we want it to go but it always goes in the right direction for us i i often absolutely. the older i get the less i do the more i achieve and that's because i'm getting out of my own way i'm not putting obstacles in the way and questioning everything that's actually not relevant um we we tend to tune in more to our own you know our own frequency don't we as we get older on this journey in life because as you mentioned earlier on we're just a nano a nanosecond in in the whole universe um but if we can go through it in a nice way that helps other people serves people with kindness and love then i think we've done we've done pretty okay i i totally agree and the 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 older i get the the more the more i believe that uh, and the more i want i want to be available to my family to my friends and support them on whatever journey they they choose for themselves and and do it celebrating them not not making them feel 
that they've been judged or that they're not doing and living up to their potential. I just want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity uh, that I have. Uh, Coming back from a near death uh, changed my life. I would not wish it on anyone, uh, but it's a part of my story at this point. Excellent. So thank you very much for your time today, Dan. How do people get hold of you? Uh, the best way, uh, the playground I play in is on LinkedIn, and it's Dan Goodwin, CYA Consulting. I'm not a secret agent. You can, you can, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect there. That's where 90-plus percent of my business comes from, my relationships. My professional relationships are right there on LinkedIn. Marvelous. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Elaine. It's been, it's been great being here.